Hello and welcome to the third episode of the new and improved Switchkick podcast. I am your host, Ty Stott, and I'm joined by the one and only Jake Bayliss. Jake, how's it going? Hello. Yes, I'm good. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. All right. A quick reminder to our listeners, we are available on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com forward slash switchkickmma, all one word. Catch all the episodes there. We're also on iTunes now, so if you search for Switch Kick, two separate words, in the iTunes store, you should find us without any trouble. Our Twitter is SwitchKickMMA, all one word. Use the hashtag SwitchKickMMA if you want us to analyze anything in future podcasts. That being said, we have a string of UFC events coming up every weekend up until the end of the year almost, which is great. But before we take a look at this weekend's Fight Night card, headlined by Ozdemir and Anthony Smith, there has been some big news in the MMA world in the last couple of days. Now, both Conor McGregor and Khabib Nurmagomedov have been suspended until a hearing in December. Jake, what do you think of that decision? Do you think it's the right move? I think so. And I also think it was inevitable. I know they set the uh, hearing for this month well the other day. Uh, but I, I never really expected anything to be resolved until the new year. I don't think either of them plan to fight again in 2018 anyway, so I don't think the UFC necessarily loses that. I know Khabib's received some of his purse now. He didn't receive any of that in the immediate aftermath. So I just see it as a, a formality almost. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts on it are. I mean, it's fine, but my issue is, does Connor really deserve a suspension? Because there's been talk of... They could be banned for life and things like that. Now, is Connor's suspension the same in severeness as Khabib's as a result of everybody saying that he threw the first punch in what was a massive brawl, which I don't agree with? Do you think Connor deserves the same punishment as Khabib? No, I don't. Khabib's the one that instigated the incident after the fight. Now, I think in the committee they said that if McGregor threw a punch uh, when he was at the top of the cage, he would have had his purse uh, withheld as well. Now, you can debate that if you want. But I think if you were going to deal out punishments, uh, Khabib should get a harsher one just for starting the incident on the night. But overall, I just think the suspension is kind of a straightforward thing. And I don't, obviously, anything to do with McGregor and now Khabib is going to be big news. But I don't see this as a, a big event in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I mean, I hope that the commission is going to sit both of them down and just say, guys come on, we're not suspending you for life, but let's not make this a bigger thing. Let's not take this outside of the sport for the sake of innocent people, young people that support either one of you. That's what I hope happens. Do you think this whole scenario with the potential suspensions makes the rematch more or less likely in happening? Um, I think there's been a, a mood swing, really, towards people wanting Khabib to fight Tony. I don't know if you've sensed that at all. I think people, given the fight and how it played out, I think if there's going to be a rematch, I do believe there will be, but I think people just think uh, Connor needs more time to develop and maybe focus on his performance against Khabib. I mean, we've spoken on it already, but 
in their fight uh, a few weeks ago kind of did say he was more uh, preoccupied with defending Khabib's takedowns than his own, you know, offensive weapons, if you will. Yeah. So maybe that's played into narrative. I don't know if you've sensed that as well, the, uh, the Tony fight for Khabib. Yeah, possibly. I would like to see the rematch personally. And to stay on the topic of Conor McGregor, he released a statement on his Instagram a couple of days ago about the fight, making a few interesting observations, some I would agree with, some not so much. Uh, he highlighted that the second round was probably the worst round of his career. He said that he got caught in the second because he did no sparring with stand-up fighters. He gave Khabib stand-up zero respect. Uh, do you see that statement at all? Yes, uh, I saw it the other day. And to be honest, I know he's going to be slightly biased, you could say, towards himself. But I thought overall it was quite an honest assessment, at least from his side. I think his analysis was pretty fair. In my opinion, it came across quite humble from McGregor in the fact that he admitted where he made mistakes. And crucially, he said he was willing to take on the next in line. If, you know, that immediate rematch didn't materialise, which I don't think many of us really envision for Connor. One thing I'd like to say on that, though, is saying that he didn't want an immediate rematch and that he'd fight the next in line if he had to, I thought that was... At first, I thought it was a bit weak from his standpoint. I mean, it should be like that, don't get me wrong. But you would expect him to use his following and his sort of superstar status to go straight in and demand a rematch. I'm pretty sure he could get one without having to go through somebody else first. And then earlier today, I actually watched a, a video uploaded by Chell Sonnen. And Sonnen was saying that that was a very smart move from McGregor. Because he said that if McGregor's the one chasing the rematch, it gives this sort of superstar status to Khabib. So by saying that he doesn't care, he'll fight elsewhere. Khabib is the one that has to now think, oh, hang on, no, I do want the rematch because that's going to be a lot more financially beneficial and chase it. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, Chael's always usually pretty good on these things. From my perspective, it, it just came across pretty honest. I know we can get caught up with thinking that Conor is the man he presents himself to be in press conferences and that kind of thing. And don't get me wrong, he's put this out to the public for a reason. But I do think that he knows the stuff he needs to work on. And the immediate rematch, it's only beneficial for him if he wins. I mean, he doesn't need to fight him again and lose again because that only harms him in a way at this point. Now, if Khabib beats Tony, for example, the rematch would already do big numbers, but if you show Khabib off against a fighter like Tony and able to market that right, then it only helps the fight anyway. To me, it just seems like an admission that he does need to respect Khabib a bit more and um, maybe work on his game plan for that fight in the, uh, in the rematch. Fair enough. All right, well, enough of Conor McGregor stealing all our time, as always. <laughs> uh, we do have a UFC event coming up this weekend, UFC Fight Night. Vulcan Ozdemir against Anthony Smith is the main event of the main card. It's not the greatest card, to be perfectly honest, but the headlining fight should be very interesting. Obviously, Vulcan is ranked second in the division, I believe. Anthony Smith coming off a fantastic win against Shogun Rua. What are your thoughts on that fight? Who would you say is the favourite? If you think about Volkan before his fight with Cormier, I think he had two fights in a row where they, they totaled just over a minute. Uh, two knockout wins in the first round. And it's kind of been forgotten given the, uh, the space in between the Cormier fight and his last win, basically. Obviously, Smith coming off the back of a recent win against Shogun and before that was it Richard as well. 
he's kind of got the momentum behind him. The fans seem to be pushing Francis Anthony Smith, especially because it's in the light heavyweight division. And let's be honest, it's probably the most shallow division in the entire of the UFC. So you can understand that kind of momentum swing, if you will. Having said that, I've thought about the fight and personally, I think if Anthony Smith can keep Volcanic Range for the opening couple of minutes, maybe even the first round, we saw in the Cormier fight that once the first round was out of the way, he presented very little for uh, Cormier to deal with. But whether it ends there or not will be decided probably in the first two or three minutes. Personally, I've got it for Anthony Smith, but you can't rule out Volcan getting a shot away in the first 30 seconds and getting that TKO. It would be a very swift uh, sort of escalation up the rankings if Smith beat Ozdemir because he's gone from not really being a contender to beating Shogun and Ozdemir, who fought for a title recently. And suddenly, you know, he's he's being talked about for a title shot. So that would be quick. But that is as a result of, like you say, the division being very shallow. It's just baffling to me how the tables have turned because this was by far the most exciting division in the UFC for potentially a decade. And now here we are talking about a main event featuring some of the highest ranked guys in the division and it's not really sparking that much excitement. But there you go. The co-main event is a very interesting one. Artem Lobov, who was scheduled to fight Tukugov, one of Nurmagomedov's teammates, in that sort of bad blood between the two camps, McGregor's camp and Khabib's camp. In the end, Tukagov was involved in the post-UFC 229 scenes, ended up punching McGregor during that sort of brawl, and at first sight, it looks like he's been kicked out of the UFC. So stepping in to replace Tukugov is Michael Johnson, a seasoned, experienced, very fast fighter. To be perfectly honest, Jake, I think that Artem's extremely unlucky to have been given a very tough fight, a fight that I think he's going to find extremely difficult to win stylistically. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, if you look at Michael Johnson's record, just from a you know a superficial standpoint, he has got quite a few losses in his uh, last few fights, but he only ever fights the top of, well, he was a lightweight, and now the featherweight division. So his record doesn't really reflect his uh, abilities. He's right up there as a, a fighter. He's just not maybe a title contender but in terms of fighting someone of Artem's caliber he should get an easy win here you'd think but having said that I listened to an interview Artem did with Ariel Hawani earlier this week I think it's his first major interview since all the incidents with Khabib I don't think he spoke on it that much and he said that yes uh, Zubair got pulled from the card but he was offered a range of fighters and he thought he chose to fight Michael Johnson out of I don't know who he was offered but out of the ones he was offered which I found was quite interesting because he said if he get a win against Johnson, then he can have the sway to have Zubair uh, maybe returning to the, the UFC because he said all he really wants is that fight back. He said he realises that he won't be able to fight Khabib given where he is. He said, he, I'm quite realistic about that, but the next best thing would be fighting Tukagov. And he said even if he loses, he might even follow uh, Tukagov to whatever promotion he joins next. Wow. Yeah. So I don't think we're quite done with that narrative yet. If any of our listeners haven't heard it, I would suggest you, you seek it out. He delves in quite deep at times about what the feud is and what it means and where it stemmed from. Quite interesting. But obviously, just looking at the fight this weekend, I think it is Johnson's to lose, in effect. I was looking earlier, he's 2-4 and four in the UFC, I think. He might be McGregor's training partner, but he's not of that class, really. 
you almost want him to win now because of what he said. Because he, you know, a fight no one actually cares about at all. It, it, it's not, it's not a first-class UFC fight or anything like that. But suddenly, with all the uh, intrigue around it, it's something you want to see. Yeah, I mean that's really interesting. I actually didn't listen to the Ariel Hilwani interview with Artem because Artem's never been that interesting to me. But I'm definitely going to go back and listen to it tonight after what you said. Um, that's great. I mean, I respect Artem, and I always knew that he wasn't scared, and he doesn't pick his fights in the sense that he probably thought, give me the hardest fight or the biggest name that you can. And I know that there's no sort of strategic placing in his mind. So fair enough in picking Michael Johnson. It just shows what kind of mentality he has. I don't think he'll win the fight, but if he does, like you say, it boosts his status in the UFC, and he could be looking at getting ranked opponents up there in the top 10 even as a result. Well, yeah, because his two wins in the UFC uh, came back to back in 2016. And he called out Cub Swanson as a result. Now, he lost that fight, but he called him out and got the fight he wanted. So I think that's what he's looking to do, albeit not with a ranked opponent. He wants Tukagov, but he's hoping to have that kind of similar success. So all the best to him, but I, I don't see it happening personally. Yep, I mean, and that Cobb-Swanson fight was competitive. I mean, Swanson won, but he got a fight of the night bonus out of it, I think. So that that was great. All right, then. Well, those are the main two fights I wanted to discuss on this card. Like I say, it's not the the best card ever. Are there any other fights on that card that jump out to you at all? Uh, To be fair, the prelims look pretty good. The main card's not the best, as you've said, but I'm quite excited to see Calvin Cater who had a great fight with, I think, Shane Burgos a few months back. He, you know how you get these fighters and you think, after after you watch them, you think, I'll look out for him and yeah. what he does next. Kata certainly did that for me. And he'll be fighting Chris Fishgold in his uh, debut for the UFC. And uh, Fishgold is the current, well, he was the lightweight champion in Cage Warriors, I think. He's not exactly younger. I don't know what his age is, but he's, he's waited. He's bided his time to get into the UFC. Could have gone earlier, but he wanted to get the experience off. So it'd be interesting for him to fight. Not exactly a gimme fight because, you know, Calvin's a respectable UFC fighter. Mm-hmm. So I'm intrigued by that fight. Elsewhere, Nordin Taleb's always a good fight to watch. And I am Buller as well on the early prelims. I think he won. Did he win a Commonwealth gold medal? I think. Yeah. Commonwealth Games medal in men's wrestling. And he's seven and one in MMA. Lost his last fight in the UFC, but got a win over Luis Enrique. So he's making his return to the octagon. People that know more about wrestling than I do say he's a bit of a, a prodigy to look out for. So that's one to look out for if you've got fight pass. But like you say, not the best card. And I think everyone's just waiting for UFC 230. Right. I wanted to discuss some more MMA news uh, before we move on to the final section of the podcast. Uh, UFC 230, Luke Rockhold pulled out with a problem with his fight against Weidman, which I believe was the co-main event. Uh, Jacare has stepped in to replace him. So it's going to be Jacare against Chris Weidman. Are you still pumped to see that fight? I am. I am. Less so than if Rockhold was still on the card. Uh, I believe Jacare was uh, scheduled to fight David Branch, who's now fighting uh, Jared Cannonier on the on that card. So he's still... They're still on the card, I suppose. Um, Weidman and Jacare, it, it's an intriguing fight, but I think it's more straightforward for Weidman, given his wrestling background and what, you know, the skills he has. I think Rockhold would have presented more of a, a challenging matchup to him because I don't think Jacare is at his best. 
He's certainly in the in the final few years of his career, you'd speculate. So it's still worthy of being the co-main event on the card. But the Rock Hall fight was something I was really excited for. So I'd love to say I'm not disappointed, but unfortunately I can't hide that, I'm afraid. Now, another big piece of news that's emerged over the past couple of days, and this could be a new sort of way we look at MMA, is a potential trade. They're saying a trade between the UFC and one championship. The trade would be Demetrius Johnson for Ben Askren, which I find incredible. Well, first of all, I find it quite surprising that the UFC are willing to do that. They're willing to trade who has probably been their best pound-for-pound fighter over the past few years, albeit in a division that people aren't very interested in, but nonetheless. But there has been a lot of talk about Ben Askren coming to the UFC over the past few years and how talented he is, and maybe Demetrius just isn't getting the numbers and they feel that Ben Askren is a more interesting prospect. What do you think about this whole potential trade? I think it's possibly one of the most incredible pieces of news I've come across since I started following MMA about two and a half years ago. I couldn't quite get my head around it. I think the first thing I did was send a screenshot of the news to you. And since then, I haven't really processed it properly. Now, I think, having thought about it, that both sides benefit from it. Demetrius has always said he he doesn't feel ultimately respected by the UFC and has issues over his pay and the pay-per-view points and, and things like that. Now, 1FC is a completely new market for him that he's going to be open to. I think I heard Eddie Alvarez speak about 1FC and he said the last event reached 25 million people over wow. in Asia. And over in Asia, it's the, it's the main promotion. It's not the UFC, it's, it's 1FC. Is the, uh, the promotion everyone on the continent watches primarily. And it's, it's free to air as well, I think, uh, if you've got the app or, or something like that. So he's not going to have a problem with exposure. So he'll get what he's wanted um, for all these years at UFC. And Ben Askren, he's undefeated. And many people rank him as the best fighter never to fight in the promotion. You know, Dana's had issues with him in the past, so hasn't signed him on purpose, really. He's kind of avoided him. But now it's kind of unavoidable. There seems to have been this movement over the last few months to get Askren into the UFC. And in the last day or two, you've seen why, because I think he's called out like half the welterweight division at the minute. I've, I've seen him talk to Mike Perry, Darren Till, uh, called out Colby Covington. He was going back and forth with uh, Masvidal for a little bit. And that's just within a day. He's very Chelsea-esque in the way he calls people out. He's quite honest, even though it does come across a bit contrived at times. But he certainly interests people. I mean, you see him tweeting all these fighters and his uh, Twitter followers will be going up this week. I can guarantee that. So I think the UFC will benefit. He's a potential... It's a really hard matchup for someone like Khabib, for example. And GSE has been a potential matchup that people have talked about between him and Askren. He could come in and, and challenge right at the top in one or two divisions. So it's a great signing for the UFC as well. Like you say, it's a bit surprising they've let their pound-for-pound pound greatest fighter go to 1FC. But I think overall, both promotions will benefit. I mean, it's interesting. It could change the way the sport develops now. I think trades could make the sport a lot more interesting. And just earlier today, I saw a tweet from the owner of Bellator, Scott Coker, saying trades question mark and then a sort of a, a light bulb as if hmm, there's an idea so it could yeah. make yeah it could make things a lot more interesting and you know we could get to see some matchups that we never thought we were going to see as a result 
Well, I think we've been speculating about it for a long time. We've wanted to see these champion versus champion matchups and things like that from other promotions like a UFC versus Bellator card or something like that. But I think 1FC will be a big part of the 2019 in MMA, especially if they keep making signings like Alvarez and, and Johnson. So be one to watch out for, for sure. Another fight I wanted to discuss... There's about a month left until we see Chuck Liddell against Tito Ortiz 3. Now, obviously, these guys are years and years past their prime. Dana White won't let Chuck Liddell fight in the UFC again. The two are close, but um, Chuck Liddell's taken some damage. So has Tito over his career. Do you have any interest in this fight? To be honest, I have absolutely none. I don't think I'll even watch it. I'll look out for the result because you've got to know these things. I'll look out for what people say about it that do watch it. I mean, personally, it could be the fact that I got into MMA after both their primes as well. So I don't really have that uh, nostalgia for it either. It doesn't really draw me in like that. And I just think it just doesn't interest me. I'd I'd love to know what you think about it, because obviously you've been into uh, MMA a lot longer than I have. On one hand, you do sort of remember the great times back when the light heavyweight division was epic in the UFC and these two guys are a big reason of why they had a huge rivalry but it's been how many years since then over a decade and with the amount of damage that both of them have taken in their careers it could be harmful to them they're vicious fighters Chuck Liddell I saw a video of him training and I reckon he could still hurt somebody it's good in a sense that okay maybe this is it this is the last one and that settles it and they can both retire and it would be a good story a retirement story well that was my last fight all those years later but I honestly think that in this day and age fighters need to start realizing and deciding when is a good time to call it a day because there's so many opportunities for these guys now it's not like before where if they weren't doing this and not making much money, that was it. That was the end of their careers. These guys can move into television, can move into being pundits. There are other opportunities out there. It's not just go and get your face kicked in. I don't know. When do you think yeah. fighters should call it a day? Well, it's an interesting topic because it's not something other people can decide for them. Like Their coaches can disagree, but if they say they want to fight, they've still got to train them. And if they refuse, they'll just find another team if it's something they want to do. Now, I've just looked it up in Chuck Liddell. I think it's 48, and uh, Tito's 43. Tito, I remember he fought Chael last year, and he hadn't fought since 2015 before that. And Liddell, I'll just look it up now. Personally, I think they, fighters should stop once they cease to be the best in the world, really. If they no longer think they could be the best in the world, it's too much damage or too much stress to put on your body to risk it for, you know, very little reward. I mean, I know Chuck and Tito have this rivalry and they want to see it out, but what if it does good numbers? What if people tune into it and they think, oh, we'll just carry on, we'll, we'll do some more fights? I've just looked at it and uh, Chuck hasn't fought since 2010. Eight years. Yeah. 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 And also, I mean, like you say, it could be bad because it might encourage them, the winner, to fight more and that could be dangerous. Because they're facing each other when they're way past their prime. These are both two guys well into their 40s. But say Chuck Liddell won and thought that he's caught the second wind and decides to fight, you know, somebody in their prime when he's 48. That could be extremely harmful. Yeah, I think it's also a situation of the fact that, yes, now there are more opportunities for fighters, you know, post-retirement, but maybe not in, you know, their eras. 
be interesting to see what their kind of contemporaries are doing now. The uh, the fighters they fought, what they what what they're now doing, uh, ten years on or fifteen years on or however however many. Uh, I think Chuck after Dana refused to let him fight anymore. I think Dana actually gave him like a, a position at the UFC where he he basically came into the office and didn't do a whole lot, but he got money anyway just to keep him outside the octagon. And uh, WME came came in and basically said, you know, he's not doing anything and got rid of him. And now I think think that's right I'd, I'd like i'd not like to be the uh the spokesman for that but maybe this is the reason for it given the fact that he had this uh income coming in and that went away it's just dangerous i, I don't like it um if this is a one-off event then maybe you can put up with it but it, it's the potential for it to go wrong that i think many people putting many people off well we'll see what happens that fight due to take place in just under a month okay jake well thanks for being here once again and uh, we look forward to watching this uh, Smith against Vulcan card. Should be an interesting one. We'll be back next week. A lot of UFC events coming up, obviously, over the next few weeks. But, uh, yeah, take care, Jake. Thanks, Tyler. See you next week. Okay, moving on to the next section of our podcast. For those of you that are in this for the money, I am now joined by our betting expert, John, from Martian MMA in Philadelphia. John, how's it going? What's up, Ty? Good to be here. The first time someone's ever called me an expert on anything, so I'm very honored. <laughs> that's all right. Um, for me, someone that's not not an expert on gambling, I see a lot of opportunity on this card uh, to potentially make a bit of cash. So if we take a look at the main card of UFC Fight Night Vulcan against Smith I'm referring to, if we take a look at the main card, what would you say are the underdog bets that are more likely to pay off, in your opinion? The undercard has a little more value than the uh, the main card, but on the main card, um, the best underdogs to me are looking like uh, Jonathan Martinez. I think that he has a good chance at maybe implementing some uh, some wrestling and some uh, submissions against Andre Sukumtat, who we, we've seen to not be too good on the ground, but there's also a chance that Sukumtat will... Uh, you know, stuff those takedowns and keep this one on the feet. So if the fight goes to the ground, I see Martinez winning. And I think that a plus 155 price tag is, is not a bad price on him. And uh, we have John Volante in the uh, the low output striker that he is, man. I would never trust that guy as, at where his current odds are. So the fact that his opponent is two to one is actually, uh, you know, I wouldn't knock a play on that one at all. Um, I think that Volante is just so un unpredictable or, you know, so unpredictable and low skill that uh, a bet is never a, a bad move against him. I also think that Patrick Cummins has a little bit of value on him. Misha Serkinov just should not be a 4-1 to underdog. He's lost two fights in a row by knockout, and I think that uh, Cummins will have a, a decent chance to re wrestle in this fight and win this fight uh, on top in the wrestling exchanges. And with regards to the main event, do you think there's, I don't know, do you think it's worth a stab at Anthony Smith, or are you going to stay away from that one? Yeah, um, you know, I, I think I think that there is, you know, I think that Ozdemir is is you know a little unproven. We've seen him knock a few dudes out real quick. We've seen him also have really sloppy striking exchanges. We've seen his cardio fade fast. We've seen him getting taken down and dominated on the ground. You know, uh, Anthony Smith is far from a perfect fighter, but I think that the momentum is on Anthony Smith's side. He's picked up two of some of his best wins of his career, while Vulcan, you know, really kind of got embarrassed against uh, DC taken down and pounded out 
finished and then also had a few fights fall through since then with some visa issues. He had his court case with the, the assault and battery, and he also allegedly broke his nose uh, this past August training for a fight with Alexander Gustafson. So he's got a lot of questions coming in for Vulcan. So I'm going to go with the, the guy with the momentum right now and Anthony Smith to get this one done. Uh, with regards to the prelims, I was speaking to Jake earlier on, and uh, he reckons a, a cage warrior champion, a fish gold, could be in with a chance. He's at plus 235, I think, although he is up against a solid and extremely difficult opponent in Qatar. So I think I'll be personally staying away from that one. Your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I like I like what Jake's thinking on that one. I think you know Fishgold it was you know a former champion has great wrestling, great top control, has gone the full five rounds before. Uh, he is dropping down in weight in this one, which I think is the biggest question about this. So I think uh, pending uh, Fishgold seems good on the scales tomorrow and makes weight and uh, you know looks good. I think the Fishgold might be worth the bet as well because Calvin Cater's wrestling game is fairly unknown and it might be pretty difficult for him to stop this takedown. So Fishgold is definitely the uh, the value on that one and uh, I, I, like I said Jake is spot on you mentioned before you did see a bit of value in the prelim so what would you what do you think uh, are the best looks on the on the undercard two fights I thought were looking good it was the women's matchup between Sarah Maras and Talita Bernardo we have two uh uh, fairly skilled women's grapplers in this one you know neither of them are elite uh, neither of them have good striking and I think this one is going to be a, you know a, a wrestling grappling exchange match maybe some submissions getting thrown up in there I think it's 50-50 honestly and uh, you know when I, when I think a fight is 50-50 and one of the women is plus 150 I think that there's some pretty good value on that one so I think Bernardo is going to be the play on that one and also on the uh, prelims we have Marcelo Gom and Arjun Bueller uh similar fights to the last one uh, two kind of one-dimensional fighters i don't think either of these fighters have a very good ground game uh you know i don't particularly trust their cardio too well and i think that they're, they're going to be involved in a boxing match which is both their specialty they both have pretty nice hands and i think one of them will catch the other and knock them out and uh, i again read it close to 50 50 maybe a slight edge for arjun bueller but there's not a slight edge in the betting window right now there's actually some pretty clear value on marcelo goma plus 170 so the plays i'm going to be making on this one are Golm, uh, Bernardo, and um, then I believe uh, uh, that's all I have so far right now. With regards to the main card, they are some crazy, like Artem Lobov plus 600, but he just doesn't stand a chance against someone like Michael Johnson, if you ask me. What do you think? Yeah, I think that one's, uh, you know, going to be very, very clear fight for uh, Michael Johnson. Uh, Michael Johnson makes a lot of mistakes in the, in the octagon, but he also faces extremely high competition. And uh, Artem Lobov is not that. So I think that uh, he's very safe in this one. And uh, Michael Johnson should cruise to a decision outstriking uh, Artem Lobov. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you once again, John, for being here on the Switchkick podcast. For anyone listening out there, you can follow John on Twitter. It is UFO underscore UFC. Okay. And you can check catch me at uh, Martian MMA on YouTube, SoundCloud, and MMA, or, and uh, the iTunes podcast app. Mm -hmm. And uh, check out the podcast Martian MMA. And thanks again for having me on, Ty. Happy to be on, and uh, I hope to see you in, again in the future. No worries, man. Thanks a lot. The Switch Kick Podcast.